you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everybody. Today's episode of the Around the NFL podcast is presented by Rocket Mortgage. Join Rocket Mortgage in saying thank you to essential workers by posting a video to everyoneknowsahero.com. Also, the Around the NFL Twitter show is back this week. It's on Tuesday Tomorrow, it's live. It's all about the draft, and it's going to be a lot of fun breaking down the big event coming up on Thursday through Saturday. So check us out live on Twitter, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. GMT. So a little bit later than our usual time. Make sure you check it out. Let us get to the Monday show. The Around the NFL Podcast. Have a billion dollar idea. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I'm coming to you from a city filled with heroes in bunkers. Mark Sessler, Chris Wesley, Greg Rosenthal. What is up, gentlemen? Hey, Dan. It's a gentleman instead of boys. Dan. Finally. Classy. Sophisticated. Um, how is everybody? How was your weekend? I like the weekends. It, it is quite a difference. I mean, with the schools and the shows, like, it's a relief to get to the weekend. Yeah, Enjoyed I find the- myself drifting away on the weekends. I kind of need <laughs> this daily um, exercise that we do to keep us uh, or keep me somewhat sane. Um, mm. But I enjoyed the weekend quite a bit. I was talking to Erica before the show that. I've started to look back over the past couple of months of like the things that um, I had a chance to do that I that I didn't do because I thought, well, you know, we'll always be able to do this. And it was remi- I remind I thought about the night that Dan and I we um, almost went to France um, and to Paris from um, a late night uh, UK bar, but we thought, oh, it's too audacious an idea. We'll do it another time. It's like I wish we had done that now. I'm just looking back saying like that will that may never happen again. And you know, with the way things are working <laughs> out now, with the world turned upside down and then the uncertain nature of the NFL season, I'm very worried that we won't get to go to London this year. And, th- and then who knows? You know, all of a sudden now you're talking two years down the line. You know, wor- the world is filled with unknowns. I mm. guess what is the lesson here? Uh, grab life by the... You know, Carp, carpe diem, junk, and and the lesson is Dan is now in into other countries um, other than our own, which I like. That's good. It's a it's a trope uh, being perpetuated by you guys, but I do that stuff with you all the time. So um, yes, you do. I didn't really come that close to going to France either. That was more a Sessler fever dream that maybe I could have gotten roped into. Uh, and now, in retrospect, yes, that would have been great because who knows? We got a nice show coming up today. Did this everybody watch the last dance? Definitely. I have yet to do that, but I feel um, highly on top of the situation thanks to 47,000 sports writers <laughs> tweeting about it at the exact same time. Mark will never watch it. No, uh, I, will I will watch it. I have. I will watch it and catch up and will watch it, but I haven't yet. Wes, I thought of you while I was watching it because uh, you spoke very eloquently on the, on the matter on our Twitter show on Friday, and Michael Wilbon is a guy I think we all... Um, respect at one point he was one of the talking heads and if you don't know the last dance it's a 10-part ESPN documentary about Michael Jordan focusing on the last season with the Bulls but really on his whole career in life Um, and Wilbon said there's only really three guys in the history of American sport that could you know you could do a documentary like this that have this 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 the layers that Jordan has it's Babe Ruth, it's Muhammad Ali, and it's Michael Jordan. Did get me thinking that football is, you know, the most popular sport in America. It's been around forever now. It, it's kind of interesting that there's never been that type of a guy that went next mm. level and became the fascination that those three personalities are. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting, too. I'd, I had a couple of thoughts on that. One, that it's interesting that those three guys all came from different sports. 
And they all came from probably the time when those sports were at their peak in popularity. Um, Babe Ruth in 20s with baseball, Muhammad Ali in the 60s with boxing, and then Michael Jordan in the 90s with basketball. Maybe football has yet to reach its peak in popularity, and we'll have that athlete who lifts the whole game up and sort of becomes that icon. That's kind of a scary thought that, that football has not peaked in popularity. How much bigger can it get, really? <laughs> well, the way Greg's talking, Patrick Mahomes could be that guy. He, he's got it. I mean, I don't know. Ten-part documentary, Greg? I don't know. I don't know what you would have to do to transcend the sport and, like, the world at this point now that the NFL is so saturated. Like, if Patrick Mahomes, let's say, won five MVPs. You know, I mean, Pat, Peyton Manning did that, and you wouldn't put him at that level. Well, um, look at look. I at guess your, what would you have to do to be like Michael Jordan? I guess if 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 I don't know, there's something more than just like racking up trophies and racking up titles. Eric, right. it's, it's playing style too. And, and Ricky has put up at the bottom of the screen, Tom Brady. Are you numb? There's no arguing no. with his success. Are you numb? What are you, Wayne Campbell? But I think Tom she misspelled Brady, dumb. Tom Brady which, has not know. played with a style that has made people people outside of football take note and say, oh, well, he's so exciting. I would, right. I would say this about Jordan. Like, in, in West, we're at that same age where we were like fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Jordan was, you know, the sun was rising on the NBA. And I have these notebooks filled with just Michael Jordan drawings. And something that was different about him than anyone else was the a very truthful marketing campaign that this man could fly. Like, I am a young kid falling in love with sports. And you've got the, the black and white ad where he's taking off from the foul line with the overlay of an airline taking off into the skies. And the way he was marketed in the, in the, in the clash of Jordan and Nike. And then he'd go out and do things like how many players were dropping 61 points on the reg over and over on teams. He was doing stuff that nobody else knew how to do or could do. And, I mean, he captured the imagination in a way that no other athlete did growing up for me <laughs> the reg i like that. on the reg uh there's a sounds there's, ridiculous when i say that and what we have it we does. have stuff to get to we should move on although it'd be fun to do an entire michael jordan nfl podcast that seems weird uh but when they go to france to do uh, like a charity tournament type thing before the start of the 97 98 season there's a headline in a french newspaper that michael jordan is the closest thing we have to god or the closest thing to god uh he's uh, I think it was in reference to his high-flying ability, but also just how incredibly popular he was. Uh, and Brady, like to your point, Ricky, uh, as as hugely influential in, in terms of like um, the popularity connected to the Patriots and what he was able to do, he's never really grabbed the the country's no. attention and fascination the way a guy like Jordan and obviously Ali and. And or the world. The he also wasn't before us, but he also wasn't one of the top five players at his position the first six years he was in the league. So it it he's he's different. But thinking about your question, maybe it's football's too much of a team sport because I yeah. know basketball is a team sport, but but basketball, boxing, baseball—it's a place individuals I think can maybe shine in in a different way. Well, mm. it's also a global thing. Babe Ruth toured Japan in the 1920s before. Airplanes were popular. You know, Michael Jordan globalized basketball. Muhammad Ali met with world leaders while he was a, a champion boxer. And Muhammad Ali changed politics around the world. So it, Tom Brady doesn't have that kind of power playing an Americanized sport. Sorry, Erica. Keep it on mute. <laughs> all right. A lot to get to. Uh, Bob McGinn is joining us from The Athletic to break down all the great draft heat and there's so much to get to he's the best in the business uh in being plugged into insiders so it's great to have him on the show we're looking forward to that conversation but before that let's do some news my mentality was to go out and win at any cost jordan is the most talented player in the nba by far the show of the 90s the team of the 90s how you feeling Whenever they speak Michael Jordan, they should speak Scotty Pippen. We created an image that people want to live up to. I think that's all you can hope for. And before the news, just a reminder, tomorrow, big day as we get closer to the draft. Tuesday, we will have the annual Mark Sessler mock draft. 
Uh, that will be an audio show. And also, we're double dipping. The Twitter show returns usually on Friday. This uh, week, it will be on Tuesday, tomorrow uh, at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. Oh, and it's late night. It's fun over in the U.K. <laughs> and Ireland and surrounding territories. Uh, what would that be? It would be 10, I believe. 10 p.m. Or, or, although, I, nice. you know what? The last time I attempted this, I got 12 tweets I think you're saying right, you don't know how to do that. Okay. But then, every, yeah, we do get the, the tweets like, but we just had a time change, mate. And right. Like, it's like I, I'm not no talking that. London summertime. Stop it. <laughs> Find it. Twitter show. All right, let's get to the news. Here we go. And, Mark, we're excited about that mock draft. Um, let's start with Leonard Fournette. So, uh, you know, Leonard Fournette, we, we talked about it on the Twitter show on Friday uh, that he spoke out, you know, saying Cam Newton would be great in Jacksonville. Well, Jacksonville, you know, they might be okay with Cam Newton coming to the Jaguars, but they also may be okay with uh, Leonard Fournette not being with Jacksonville. Rap Sheet reported that the Jaguars had trade talks centered around Fournette for more than a month, and they circled back with teams in the last three days, a.k.a. they're aggressively shopping the former first-round pick. ESPN's Josina Anderson reports that the Bucks are not expected to be a taker. Uh, they were connected to the running back for a while, but apparently hmm. that is not happening, according to Anderson. Uh, Greg, what kind of market does Leonard Fournette have at this stage of the game? Obviously, has been a disappointment since coming into the league. I would guess very little to possibly none. Uh, he's due $4 million this year. Can they get a conditional seventh-round pick for him? You would, you would think. But I think that's about the area we're talking about. I almost thought when this is floated out, because they, they're so sick of dealing with Fournette, that they almost want to show him. They want to show him like what the league thinks of him, that that's all they're going to get for him is, is like a seventh-round conditional pick. The Jaguars used him as a three-down back. I can't think of another franchise that would use him on passing downs. He's just not that good at it. Um, it's misuse of an asset to use him on passing downs. I think he's limited in his skill set. He can get you a thousand yards on first and second downs, but he's going to need a tunnel to run through because he's a straight ahead runner without as much lateral agility. And with Mike Garofolo pointing out that he's been oversleeping, he's been tardy, oh, he's been on, moody. Man. And he was drafted by Tom Coughlin, who had a vision for a run-first offense. So there's a lot of negatives there surrounding him. Is there any selling point? Because, I mean, number one, you're not looking at an NFL right now where there are a lot of running back holes. I mean, the Bucs were one team that you could think of them maybe adding, stacking up um, backs with them out of the picture. And they seem very um, zoned in on, on drafting a running back who can catch passes out of the backfield in a Tom Brady offense. I mean, Leonard Fournette has been, um, if anything, a consistent headache. And, I mean, involved with some of the more uh, problematic scenarios in Jacksonville over the last three seasons. I mean, so think I don't about it. trade him. He's, he's a for- former fourth overall pick. Is he going to help you in special teams? No. Is he a guy that you could plug in in a depth role as a backup and expect him to be a good soldier about it? I don't know. It doesn't seem like that maybe is the, the safest route either. Uh, has he performed at a high level when given the opportunities? I mean, in, in spurts, but overall it's not really worked out. He's a guy that might struggle to find a job. Probably will get a job, but he, he's in the league in 2020, right? Yeah, oh, I think definitely, yeah. but you're not going to give up anything. You're not going to give stuff up for him. Right. He's in the journeyman uh, portion, potentially. In other um, Jags news, Marquise Lee, another former high draft pick, 2014 uh, high second rounder. He is done with the team. Uh, the uh, Jaguars released the wide receiver. He missed all of 2018 with an ACL injury, played just six games last season, so he had kind of been off, off the grid a little bit, uh, and now the Jags cut ties with Marquise Lee. Wes, does he make sense to you at 28 years old as a flyer for a team, or is he just another guy? I think he's just another guy at this point. You don't want to write off his career because, like you said, he's only 28 years old. It's been a lot of leg injuries, and sometimes it takes guys a couple of years before they can return to some semblance of what they were. I, w- I think he's a guy you signed sort of like a Jason Verrett, who the 49ers signed to play cornerback, where leg injuries make him a complete and utter wild card, and, and it's a question of whether he'll even make your team or not. They, they've and- made some bad moves in Jacksonville. I just got to point out, though, 
this might be one of the worst contracts anyone signed. And it was partly bad luck injuries. They gave him like $25 million guaranteed. He had three catches combined the last two years. I mean, they've had a disastrous couple of years as a front office that they've skated by on. Ugh. All right. In other news, the New York Giants, they are picking number four overall. All the mocks seem to have them grabbing one of the uh, tackles and plugging him in as a guy in front of Daniel Jones. But Yahoo Sports' is Charles Robinson, or excuse me, NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reports that the Giants, quote, have spent a lot of time researching Oregon uh, quarterback Justin Herbert, a process that's included FaceTime conversations with Coach Joe Judge. Wes, you're shaking your head. Uh, Do you put any stock in the idea that the Giants could be interested in taking a quarterback, or is this your classic draft smoke in the days leading up to the big event? 0.0 stock, and it's (laughs) laughable. And what is Gettleman doing? He's never made a trade before, and then he announces this is the year he's interested in a trade. And then all of the NFL insiders come out hours later saying, oh, yeah, by the way, we're thinking about a quarterback at number four. If you want one, you'll have to trade with us. I mean, come on. (laughs) It's a little bit, yeah, it's a little see-through. Yes. Desperately want someone to trade in that spot. And I mentioned Yahoo Sports' Charles Robinson reported that, yes, the Giants have – you know, connected with Justin Herbert and they're looking into him. He is completely certain New York will not be selecting him. And he called it the flirtation, a quote, Patriots culture move. Uh, Joe judge who has new England ties, uh, a situation where they're kind of doing evaluation of the prospect for down the road and just to have it in the bank. So not to do not put any stock into the idea that the giants can go the route of the Cardinals a couple of years ago or a year ago, I should say. Mark's trying to talk, but he's on mute. I was debating just letting him. Wow, that would that um, that would have been problematic, um, or better for all of you. But I mean, I don't think they're the only team that does that kind of thing during the draft process. I don't. Who's actually who is buying on any level that they get a quarterback? I think nobody. But there is some credence if you uh, if anyone wants to trade up for any of these um, passers, and it seems more and more unlikely. Maybe you want to get up to that spot um, just to get ahead of everything fallen behind it but i mean the giants could have not telecast this with any less uh panache i mean it did, ultimately the news uh nugget it served its purpose to let you guys tee off on dave gettleman for no reason so we're all good i think there was a reason i mean it's fine it's you guys fine. you guys are happy with it it's good i mean maybe not bumble so much <laughs> um in uh, oh and by the way we will be talking again with bob mcginn in a little bit and we will certainly touch on all the um quarterback situations uh, around the draft, New, the New England Patriots, they uh, tagged Joe Tooney, their uh, all-pro guard, and uh, Mike Reese of ESPN believes that the Pats could be open to trading the um, interior lineman during the draft. So, Tooney, uh, Greg, he signed the tender three days after receiving it, uh, and people were surprised when that happened in the first place because the, the widely held uh, thought was that uh, he was going to hit the open market, and then the Tom Brady news kind of blew everything off the page, Patriots-related, but that was still a bit of a surprise. Uh, would you be surprised if they moved the guard? Uh, now I won't be because Mike Reese reported it. Him putting it out there, of all people, tells me that's what they're looking to do. And it, it does it does make sense. It helps explain the tag. I mean, he's a really good player that, you know, as a Patriots fan, you'd love them to just re-sign. But... They have negative cap. They have the least cap space of any team in the league. If they wanted to do anything else, they also are short on uh, a second round draft pick because they gave away Mohamed Sanu, and it it would, in retrospect, kind of explain why they why they did this tag. Why let him go for free if you can maybe get a, a second or third in this year's draft where they feel like they might need players like right now. They don't want to wait for a compensatory pick. You know, Greg, I, I read your um general manager rankings, <clears throat> good piece, but you have Bill Belichick, number one. Yeah. Um, and I, what I would ask is, like, cause I, you, you explained in it that that oh, was a career-wide you know, look at Bill Belichick to some degree, but the, the Bill Belichick of the last year or so, the team is in weird ca- a weird cap situation. Um, they, I think they, feel like they left Tom Brady totally hanging from a talent perspective last year on offense. I mean, it, what, how would, what grade would you give him over the last 365 days? 
B minus. I think the drafts, though, over the last five, four years have been bad. Um, I'm not going to like kill them that they, in terms of the talent that they had, like a number one type of defense and a team that could, you know, win 11 and 12 games in Tom Brady's age 42 season, like setting up last season. The Sanu trade, though, um, if it's not just him being hurt, and he was hurt like right after he got there, that that he looked like a disaster there. That that was a fiasco. And to your point, Mark, Joe Tooney's about the last good guy they drafted. I mean, they do not have like big draft hits in the last four to five years, and it's been fairly spotty in terms of the draft. They've done a lot of things working around the margins, little pickups here or there that are contributors, and that that's like what they do. But it, it hasn't been great. He's number one, though. Yeah. For Didn't the, you just make the, the case against them being number one for the past 40 seconds? At, at <laughs> least how I've done that. That's the third year I've done it. I said, like, they're getting graded on the total, like, um, the whole body, body of work, body yeah. of work in their current job. And so it's hard to it's hard to move them off that spot. Who who would I put first? I also didn't know who to put there. Like Brett. Veach. What is the top five? I'm curious. Brett Veach was second with Andy Reid. And I heard from a couple people that were like, it's really Andy Reid. It's not Brett Veach, which was Ouch. interesting to me. Um, but he gets the credit for Mahomes, even though Dorsey was there at the time. And then Howie Roseman is four. Kevin Colbert is three. Uh, John Lynch and Schneider were there up there at, at five and six. Okay. No, Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard, I think, is eight. He's 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 up there pretty high. Little John Robinson in the top ten. Thought he's done a nice <laughs> nice job. Tight Titans. Okay, check it I out. get where you're coming from. I, and yes, check it out. I, but the fact that you would, who know, who are you putting mold. above him? I'm Colbert? just saying that's fair. That's fair. But I think the idea of saying goodbye to Tom Brady and then the right now the organization is set up with Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer is a huge um, hole left by the man in charge. But then again, I also we'll would see. Ask, we'll I see. Would also I guess ask why your editor has you writing this before the draft. Ouch! And we went in that direction. With Yikes! This. Shots fired at the editor. Well, I think because when else you could either do, you could do it right before after the season. I guess would would be another time. But you've gotten like a feel of their last draft class. We've gotten a feel of the, you know, the free agency. Okay, I see that side of it as well. All right. Well, you know what? Obviously, it is a a, a juicy topic with a lot of layers. Yeah, people people don't like that Patriot. I guess I'd wait and see about their quarterback position before I kill it. Like whether Stidham's any good or whether they get a first, you know, whether they do something and get someone now. All right, then we'll how about it. this? Veach slash Andy Reid at number one and, and maybe change yeah. the format to include these guys that are the czars of their organization. I, I think there's there's something to be said there, although their drafts have been a little weird the last few years. Hmm. Okay, moving on. This is fun. Oh, by the way, the Patriots made their uh, color rush jersey, their primary jerseys, effective today, Greg. So congratulations on that. I That's like a popular those. move. Um, in other news, back to the Jaguars. You know, what? It, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on with this organization. Yannick Ngakwe is one of the best uh, defensive players, a defensive lineman uh, in the AFC, and he wants out. He's frustrated that the Jags have yet to trade him. And all that bubbled over on Monday uh, when he went on social media and challenged the Jaguars to get a deal done, get him out of Jacksonville. And in one of the things that would have never happened, and there'd be no way for it to happen uh, 10, 20 years ago, it led to a back and forth, public back and forth with one of the team builders. Uh, So I will play the role of Yannick Ngakwe and Mark, will you play the role of Tony Khan? Yes, uh, I Tony will. Tony Khan, friend of the show. He's he's spoken with us before at the owners' meetings. He is the um, what is his role exactly? He's owner of football and in charge of football analytics at the Jaguars, according to his Twitter profile. Okay, Shad Khan is his father. I think he's EVP now. Yeah, I was. That's what I thought, and I was just going off the Twitter bo- profile. Uh, but that sounds right, Wes. Here we go, Yannick. Hashtag free Yan. No answer. At Tony Khan, stop hiding, Mo. <laughs> All right, now this from Tony Khan. He responds. He says, "I'm not in hiding, sir. I'm in isolation, getting ready for the draft. I've been pretty active on social media in isolation." But you wouldn't know that since you unfollowed me in parentheses again. Oh, do that meme where the dude runs by holding his face and all his friends are going crazy behind him. Uh, Okay. Since you're feeling might today. What? 
since you're feeling my today, let's both let the world in on the truth. We've been had a discussion that the Chargers game was my last game. You try to backdoor the situation without answering any of my camp's calls. Shaking my head, you spoiled bra. Holding up people for no reason. Clown emoji. It's a new regime here, sir. I think, or I thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of the contributions oh. you made here. That said, tweeting insults at me won't get you traded any faster. Only good trade compensation will do that. Please redirect your efforts into a more productive outlet. And you'd think it would be over at some point, but it keeps going. <laughs> Just trade me. I don't need the speech. And then a uh, emoji of a finish line, like a checker flag. And then Khan, you know, hits him up again. Show me the compensation. I'm sure you're really driving up the price today, BTW, by the mm. way. Ouch. And that's, and that's kind of where things wow. ended. So this is Grizzly. I don't think this is really the, the method that any um, team executive should be um, going down. But also, you know, I was a big George Steinbrenner fan. And if Steinbrenner had Twitter, he would have been doing stuff like this all the time. So I guess I can't get on a high horse. Wes, what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> well... <laughs> It's not very smart on Yannick and Gakwe's part. It's letting emotion do the work of reason. If you're trying to do a trade, don't sabotage your own value in such a public way. Just lighting fire to your trade value mm. and putting the Jaguars in a very poor spot. I, I think it just it's just not smart as far as a means to an end. I, I don't think it would hurt his value too much. I think there's going to be a lot of interest and... Teams, underst- teams, teams, teams understand. Have to get it, rid of him. It didn't, you know, it didn't hurt Jalen Ramsey and different. Things. Like teams understand, he wants to get out. Um, I was more taken by the little sentence, and I've seen a little bit of this in Jacksonville. It's a new regime. Please, I mean, the same people who hired Tom Coughlin are running the place. The same general manager there is running the place. The same coach has been there since. Since uh, you know Blake Bortles was on the team, let's That's let's fair, quit no. with. I killed Coughlin as about as much as anyone else, but let's quit on like hey, it's every it's everything is Tom Goff, Coughlin's fault. Come on, can't call it a new regime if it's not a new regime. Right. Just can't. If the coach is there and the GM's there, it's not a new regime. I can't think of a team with more unhappy players. That it just it just seems to be a stockpile of um, discord, and they, they one of the weirder off seasons. Uh, around. Also, I enjoyed Ngakwe's accent really cranking up as it <laughs> as it went along. <laughs> what accent would you say that is? I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of like a. It's kind of Spire like maybe up. the significant other of like like the Lakeisha's mom impression. Maybe I don't. Did it have some like Caribbean a, overtones? It's like a street heavy. I don't know. That's that's interesting. I guess everybody hears it in their own way. That's what's happening <laughs> in the <Okay>. news. <laughs> All right, as we promised, this is somebody that we're so thrilled to talk to uh, because in a lot of ways, you could refer to him as the Dean of American Draft Insiders. That, that's how I see him. He's Bob McGinn. Uh, this is his 36th year uh, working on his NFL draft series. You could read him right now at The Athletic, previously at the Green Bay Press-Gazette, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Uh, he had his own website for a little bit. Now he's at The Athletic. Bob Welcome to the Around the NFL podcast. We're so excited to get educated by the Dean. Let's have at it, guys. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, you know, I, this, I, we're all big fans because it's, there's no way to prepare for the draft <laughs> from our standpoint without reading your work. And this year especially, I'm like taking note of some of these quotes that you get, Bob. They're so juicy. They're so <laughs> salacious. Do you think you've been around the game long enough and you obviously are highly respected in this realm, both as a football writer in general and a columnist and, and in this uh, particular realm, that these scouts and these GMs and these personnel guys want to impress you? Like they want to give you the quote and they feel proud to give you one that shows up in your copy? <laughs> I don't know if it's that, but I mean, these are long conversations with most guys. A lot of people, you know, they go out of their out of their way to spend a lot of time with me. And um, so there's all kinds of, you know, garbage in the middle of these conversations. But in these capsules, I write um, the stuff I I have a lot of material to choose from. And and it's I usually try to get the, the quotes with some punch, you know. And you and you do it every time. It makes it such a fun read. So we're going to kind of spin through some of the position groups. And like and like Bob said, he, he breaks it down 
by position group. And again, if you don't have a subscription, I think the athletic, is it for free right now? I think it might be. So make sure you read this. And if that doesn't hook you, I don't know what will, Uh, but let's start with the quarterbacks. And it's fascinating in all the people that you spoke to and you spoke to, uh, you know, many, many, many uh, plugged in people in the industry. Joe Burrow is by far the best prospect out there. And everyone expects him to go to Cincinnati at one. Two is the guy that that jumps out to everybody is the big wild card. And after reading your piece on this, Bob, it is an absolute mystery to me. Um, you spoke to um, personnel guys uh, ten on the high end of scale of the scale in terms of concern level, one to ten, uh, and the average of the panel was seven point six. Mm. And here's one of those juicy quotes I tell I'm, I'm talking about. There is concern, serious concern, about the durability, said a high-placed personnel man for an NFC team. The ankle, the hip, the size, you name it, it's hard because you can't get your hands on him. Uh, this this does feel like one of the, the biggest wild cards in recent memory at the quarterback position, Bob. I agree totally. I mean, you know, not that long ago, I mean, still, I guess the narrative out there is that, he, you know, he might be third to Detroit or to somebody come, in, come, come into that spot. I just don't know. I don't. I didn't sense that at all in these conversations. Um, you know, he's got his NFL passer rating for his career would compute to one thirty-eight point one. You know, I mean, it's just remarkable. There's never seen any that kind of efficiency unless Burrow this year NFL passer rating one forty-three point seven. But um, you know, he played with fantastic receivers, and you know, on and on and on. But the ter- in terms of the durability. He takes all these shots. He doesn't protect himself. I covered Brett Favre for his entire career, and he would be recoiling after he would throw it. I mean, he took a lot of shots, but he just was never injured. He knew how to take a hit. Aaron Rodgers is the same way. I mean, he adopted a sliding posture after about his third or fourth year, and, you know, he's escaped injury. But Tua has not done that. He's getting drilled, and people estimate his 40 between 4.85 and 4.9. He's six foot even. He's strongly built, but... Boy, there's red flags all over on this durability. You had yeah. you had three teams had him off the board entirely. Yeah, yeah. Now you know it's easy for them to say because you know two of them had you know a quarterback that they're not going to be dealing with that. It's easy to, easy to say, but still, yeah. I do wonder with him because I, I think it's gotten lost. You know, he had surgeries on both of his ankles, and. He's a guy who's, who's you don't even hear any concerns about his height, which I think shows how much quarterbacks change. I mean, he's he's six foot tall. He's maybe not as athletic as, as some of the highly drafted quarterbacks. How much how much of this with him potentially slipping do you think is about his game and his game style? And that like he's not a guy with a big arm who's not necessarily, you know, above average athletically. And he has these injuries. So as someone who doesn't follow the college game, and I, and I know the numbers are outrageous and he's known as a great leader and everything, and that's why he will get drafted high. But th- that's not the profile of many guys that we've heard getting drafted early, injury prone, you know, shorter and, and not necessarily like a difference maker athletically. No, it isn't. He, um, uh, fantastic release. Right. And, um, but again, he had all these clear window throws, uh, people wide open and things like that, and he would drill the ball in there. You know, we all saw it, and it was, uh, it was like a shooting gallery. Um, <laughs> but again, his picks came when there was pressure. Uh, scouts don't feel he really handled the pressure real well. Um, he's short. I mean, it's hard to see over that, certainly. Uh, he's with a, a great system and great players all around him, tremendous offensive line. Um, I just don't see it. I mean, in talking to all these people, it just doesn't ring. You know, he doesn't ring like a top 10 or 12 guys, guy, even despite the durability issues. It just Hmm. doesn't. I mean, when I started this about a month ago or five weeks ago, I was expecting more. But, boy, in the inflection of these voices, it's not there. One thing uh, that I love about your capsules is, uh, you know, in the time of reading them, it doesn't take long. Uh, the, the top half, I fall totally in love um, with quarterback X based on the positive uh, glowing comments from scouts. But then in the back half, I'm suddenly terrified of the player. And I, I just wonder um, when you're, when you're putting these together and you've been doing it for so long, 
you got a guy like Joe Burrow and, and, and across the board and, you know, the, the, the comments were exceedingly positive and kind of stuff we've never seen before um, about a player's ability to process. Uh, there's a little bit of that with some of the other guys too, but do you have a pretty fair level of suspicion about any type of quarterback at this point, having done it so long? I look at a guy like Justin Herbert, who people are talking about someone maybe trading up for, but there's the personality stuff. Every one of these guys seem to have something um, that would be in the area of red flag. Are you? A, do you look at like Joe Burrow, for instance, as someone that is truly different than prospects that have come down the pike previously? Let me just mention this. You know, I mean, a lot of people accuse me of being negative in my writing on the draft, but guys, if you were inside those draft rooms, it's a lot more brutal than the way I write it. I mean, this is their livelihood, the future of these franchises, and they are, they're not worried about being politically correct in these draft rooms. They are ripping, they are praising, they are going back and forth, debating, arguing with each other. It gets intense. And so, you know, you're right. The way I give you the good early, and then, but then there's strength, and then there's weaknesses. I'm just trying to be realistic and honest and take people inside where these people, you know, real people, the decision makers and the area scouts and whoever are talking. So back to Burrow, um, I don't see many negatives from anybody on Burrow. Yeah, you know, it's sort of a one-year wonder, but, I mean, this was such a one-year wonder, and he wasn't that bad as a junior either. Um, I talked to a lot of people trying to compare him. Okay, is he on the rec- on the level of, oh, some people bring up Andy Dalton. Some people, um, I said, well, is he as good as uh, Stafford or Carson Wentz? Mm, they kind of pause. Some say yes, some say no. But then another guy, one of the last people I talked to, he said, oh, man, way above that stuff, way above Stafford and Ryan. He said he's in there with Peyton Manning and Rodgers, anybody you want to name. Oh, boy. Yeah. So there is just um, they love this guy as a, as, a, as a kid, the way he handled himself. And he throws it well enough, and he's got good size, 30, you know, high test score. We'll have to Small learn. hands, though. Small hands, though. Come on Small now. Small hands, that is true. <laughs> the biggest hands in recent memory was uh, Mark Sanchez, for the record. So let's you know, calm down. About it. What were they? <laughs> I think 10 and a half. Wow. Okay. Bob, one of the things we get from, from your articles is, is how much the NFL changes from year to year. And we see quotes about stationary players can't get drafted anymore, um, nose tackles. There's a guy... One of your quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, who, from reading it, I, I sort of get a Taysom Hill sense that teams see him as a football player and a guy you want in your building, but not necessarily as a starting quarterback. Is, is that sort of a – do you see him as a guy who's going to have a Taysom Hill-like role? Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Hadn't thought of that. That makes some sense, though. Um I would agree with that, that he's kind of a backup, maybe gadget guy, special teams, whatever. But he threw it so well at the combine, you know, without pads on his shoulders and against air and everything. But he looked like a real passer that day. Hmm. Uh, Hill, yeah, maybe he, you know, I mean, Hurts is a terrific runner. And, you know, you love the kid and the transfer and the way he handled all that. I like him. Um, Seems like about a third rounder and maybe he can have a good career doing a lot of things. Bob, you met, you mentioned Joe Burrow. You think, you know, kind of checks all the boxes. Maybe you know, not the biggest arm in the world, but he makes so many plays, you know, off structure that you know I could imagine every team's going to be confident in him. But then you look at the rest of the LSU team, and I do wonder, like talking to the scouts, how much they are trying to account for how ridiculously dominant that offense was. That it almost felt like Joe Brady was there running a pro offense, and they were going up against. Uh, a lower level of, you know, college coaches that guys, and, and I'm specifically talking about uh, Justin Jefferson, like, and maybe they're, they're running back to Edward Tolera that he's so open all the time and the production's just off the charts. But when you watch Jefferson and, and some of the other LSU players, is there like a concern that it's just the scheme, like creating these numbers and Jefferson, especially compared to all those other receivers out there, you know, isn't maybe as special or, or unique just as an individual talent? To a degree there is. But then, guys, when I start talking about Chase and Jefferson and uh, that Marshall guy and the running back, then they say, yeah, but, Bob, look at that offensive line. He said, yeah, the center's okay, but, you know, the, and the left tackle was an athlete who got suspended. 
He said, the other three guys, there wasn't all that much there. He said, that's why he had to scramble and move. He said, you know, he looked like Brady kind of negotiating the pocket, climbing up. So, I, you know, yeah, his supporting cast was, I mean, great on the, at the skill positions, but not real great up front. In the wide receiver group, Bob, there, there's a quote you have near the top of your um, capsule. This is maybe the deepest wide receiver group, said a longtime AFC personnel man. But as far as like a Julio, as in Julio Jones, or Calvin Johnson, absolutely not. I've seen it in some places, and just so you know, Bob, I'm sure you're plugged in on, on me and my career in this podcast. I'm a big <laughs> Jets fan, and so with, with the Jets sitting at 11, um, C.D. Lamb is a guy that our, our friend, some people's friend, Daniel Jeremiah, has going to them. But when you keep in mind a quote like that and the idea that this is such a deep wide receiver class, do you buy into the theory out there that it would be a mistake to be taking a wide receiver in that 10 to 12 to 13 range when you could get another need, a higher end player perhaps, and then get a still a quality wide receiver later in the draft in the second or third round, because we're talking serious depth this year. Yes, I do. I do. Mm. You know, um, there's a lot of balance and you can, you're going to get them from oh, <clears throat> 30 to 80, 90, something like that. They're going to be really good players. But still, guys, don't you think somebody from this these top 10 or 11 people are going to be very close to Julio Jones or Calvin Johnson? I just kind of do. Somebody's going to emerge here, and I don't know who it is, but there's enough talent on this board to think there's going to be one real shining light. And all these teams are thinking that too. So if they pass and they go take tackles who are, you know, okay, serviceable and all that, but if they pass the guy they totally believe in, uh, we know the game is uh, it's scoring now and it's a perimeter-based game. If you pass that guy, you might regret it. Yeah, I mean, that, you could see why if you're a guy like John Gruden or something that the some of these wideouts are just too tantalizing to move on. But there are, um, in that cluster of the, the Jets and Browns and other clubs with real legitimate um, offensive line tackle needs, and I... I can't remember a draft where there were so many um, top 10 first, you know, 15 pick projections of tackles that are just clustered together and coming out of this project. Did you uh, view one of the tackles as clearly uh, better than the others or did anyone particularly scare you? Because for me, for us jumping in, that just seemed like um, a big stack of guys and like, who's, what's the differentiator here? Man, they were those top four in my. In, I've never had a, such a, a close poll. Uh, the top four uh, were just almost on top of each other: seventy-eight, seventy-five, seventy-one, and seventy-one points. Um, you know, I mean, Ezra Cleveland has a chance to get in the first round. He, he's really a good pass blocker. He's been compared by one scout to David Bakhtiari and Brian Balaga, the, the team mm. I covered for years. So. Um, and Austin Jackson, I mean, he donates his bone marrow to his sister, and, you know, he pays the price his final year at USC, but he's a lot better than he showed. Um, we know about the other ones. Uh, I mean, there are other guys. I can't say who's going to come out of it. I certainly like Robert Hunt a lot, too, from Louisiana, whether it's a guard or a tackle. Um, it's a good group. Bob, beyond your uh, draft series, we read your – Packers game recaps as well and they're very good I think out of all the guys I've read over the years you come the closest to a style that's like Dr. Z Paul Paul Zimmerman is that something that you did on purpose was he a role model or is that just a coincidence Mm. Mm. Uh, I I mean I that's how I basically how I learned to write I've been a subscriber to Sports Illustrated since I was about eight and I've read you know every issue I saved those issues for 40 years when I eventually moved i had to get rid of them all but and that's where i think the writing was so beautiful and the editing was phenomenal that um that's where i think all of us learned to write really Hmm. um i certainly admired paul i knew him a little bit not a lot um i'll mention another guy who influenced me too jerry green of the detroit news uh he would write for street and smiths every year the nfc central preview and and i was uh grew up in michigan's upper peninsula and I've told Jerry this. He had an entirely different style that was way, way early for his time. And he was a lot like Paul Zimmerman um, 
and he was analytic when nobody else was. And so I love Jerry. He's covered every Super Bowl, and uh, he influenced me quite a bit. Hmm. Yeah, for our listeners uh, who haven't, you know, heard me, you know, honk about Doctor Z in the last couple years, if it's been that long, like the uh, the Thinking Man's Guide to Football to me is still the best book on football. At least if you're like a young writer, you're getting into the business on how to think about football. Even if you don't write, and and it's a it's hard to imagine uh, this the uh, type of book coming out. And Mark is showing the video to me of a, a nice looking first uh, edition. It's hard to imagine someone getting the access that he had. Uh, but just even the way to think about the game, uh, there's nothing better. While we're on the topic though of these game recaps, Bob, before we let you go, I got to ask you about Aaron Rodgers because. Um, you're, you're tough on him sometimes. I feel, I don't know what your relationship, how is your relationship with Aaron Rodgers right now? <laughs> Good starting point. <laughs> well, I haven't seen him in a couple of years, so I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I'm just curious, um, where you see him right now. Um, because it's obviously when you get a reputation, like, you know, someone like Rodgers and you have the high end play, you mostly just hear all positive positivity especially from a national level but there's a, a certain school of thinking and you've been writing about it certainly that he has not been the same player the last three or four years I guess I, I just be curious before you go uh like where you see he is now um compared to to where he was uh earlier in his career you know some people think he slipped physically I don't one bit he's a you know workout maniac in the off season. he takes care tremendous uh, care of his body I do not think he slipped physically. I think his arm is fine. I don't see any problems with any of that. But you just got to do it, you know. And, um, I mean, he's got a good enough supporting cast. He's got one one fantastic receiver. And, you know, he's had he's got a great running back. I mean, yeah, the other wideouts and tight ends weren't very good this year. But the O-line was real solid. So, you know, supporting cast come and go. And he has to make people better. He can take them to the Super Bowl any year. He hasn't been there in about a decade. I mean, it's time, really. And um, he's certainly one of the 10 best QBs in the league without, you know, any doubt. And there's a lot of good QBs in this league. And he had his team in the NFC title game last year. He just has to do it. Let me connect some dots there, Bob. So you say physically (laughs) he's the same exact guy. His supporting cast, it's a little bit overstated um, that he's in some type of – disadvantage uh position because right. he does have some big time players is it is it coaching that's kept his his production more pedestrian in recent years uh is it the mental side of things is it off the field is there anything else that you can add on on kind of your feeling on where Rodgers has been in the last couple of years compared to that peak in the uh beginning of last decade into the middle no, it certainly hasn't been coaching i mean Mike McCarthy, if he told me this once, he told told it to me 20 times. His goal was to make the quarterback look great. That was the, his entire goal as a coach, number one objective. And he built everything around Rodgers. And Lafleur's done the same thing. The system is made to order for Aaron Rodgers. And he is a good player, and he just has to re- get back to a great level. Um, uh, he knows his his mind and his ability to process everything is, you know, beyond incredible, really. Um, he can throw accurately. He can still scramble at age 36. Um, but for some reason, he just hasn't really done it here, played really well, a little bit, little stretches, but for the last five or six years, it's not been consistently uh, elite. All right. Good answer. Thank you so much for your, your time, Bob. And again, the Dean of American Draft Insiders. That's what I call him, Bob McGinn. And you could read him at The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription service, but not right now during this COVID-19 madness. And speaking of that, Bob, I hope all is well with you and your family and you stay well. And we hope to hear from you again soon. We'll be reading you in the meantime. Thanks very much, guys. Take care. Thanks, Bob. Bye, Bob. Oh, that was great. Bob McGinn. Nice guy. He, uh, he go, he, to me, he falls in the category of, you know, and this is a, this is a, a narrowing group, gentleman scribe. He just seemed like, um, an incredibly, uh, warm, uh, gentle individual, uh, who is sitting on way more football information, mm. um, than most men in America. He wrote he a, live, go ahead. I was gonna say, he wrote a great book too. It was like a Super Bowl book. 
um, where he talked to players, played in each Super Bowl. I recommend that. He he kind of speaks quietly, but you know, carries a big stick. You know, underneath all of that, like he's gonna let you know what he thinks. And I've we get some interviews with him. He's an opinionated guy, like way more opinionated than he showed before. <laughs> he was very nice and genial, though. And we get this question all the time on Twitter and DMs and things of that nature. How do I get into the business? How do I um, get involved? What do I have to do to put myself in position to be find success? Well, doing things like reading Bob McGinn's columns, finding the people that are the best at what they do in terms of how they follow the sport, and just reading guys like him. There's, there's a tip for you. So check it out. All right. Big week, like we said. Monday show in the books. Tomorrow, Tuesday, the Twitter show uh, live, and also the Mark Sessler mock draft. Mark, you ready for that? I am. You know, I, th- th- this thing is changing by the minute. I, I, I don't know how else to describe it on the fact that I thought I would spend just a little bit of time on it. It is an all-consuming um, project that is, you know, a long way to go. Get ready. Wow. Fluid, fluid. Uh, that's coming up Tuesday. Wednesday, we're going to do some sandwich props connected to the draft also. And it's been two years uh, in the making. Spice Rack returns with his predictions on the guys who will hit in a big way. Kind of five guys that spicy believes in. Okay. We've had Jonathan Williams in the past. Good luck. Uh, we've had, we've had, you know, spicy has had some issues in the past uh, in the segment. Sometimes he's, he's shined and then sometimes he's cratered. So it's, that's one of the things that are exciting about this spice rack in parts unknown, like the ultimate warrior uh, sharing his draft uh, hot takes. Remember the so year he just out. wouldn't give us, wouldn't do it. Yeah, he, would, right. he came on yeah. and then he decided, "No, I'm not going to give you my sleepers." That was pretty it is cool. A volatile uh, individual. I still don't know if it was because he way. was unprepared, or he was making some type of statement, like, or maybe it was like a punk rock type move. I st- I'll never know. You say he could, he's going to give us five names. It could be eight names, and it could be one or none. You'll get what you get. It really makes me laugh like thinking it. about that. So spicy coming back to the Around the NFL podcast. On Wednesday, Thursday, the draft, of course, we will be recording immediately upon the completion of the first round with a show going up that night. And then we'll have another show. That show will stand for Friday. And then we'll have another show wrapping up the whole draft that we will record on Saturday night and get up as soon as possible. So that's our draft week coming up. It's time to say goodbye. Stan Hansa signing off for Quiet Storm, the mailman, the old boss, Rick Hollywood. Thank you, Bob McGinn of The Athletic. Until Tuesday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.